corruption has made our world a more dangerous place. We have been through three years of pandemic, a health crisis, which became a, a financial crisis. Where you have corruption, governments are less able to protect uh, the population, and also uh, governments are less resilient to crime when the level of, of corruption is high. The Transparency International Global Coalition Against Corruption has launched its latest Corruption Perception Index 2022, and we have not improved despite global development efforts, and corruption is one factor to blame. Global peace is deteriorating, a relationship between crisis and corruption is our topic today. Valentina Lana, a lecturer at the Science Polo School in Paris, discusses the concepts, magnitude, and nuances of fight against corruption and will help us navigate through this perception index report so that we can understand the technicalities inside the corruption perceptions. Valentina is also a German Marshall Fund's 2023 Marshall Memorial Fellow. I'm your host, Leopoldine Geronimo. Valentina, welcome, and so you lead the way. Transparency International, CPI. What is it exactly? The Corruption Perception Index. It's complex, but let's make it simple. Hi, Leo. It is a pleasure to be here in conversation with you again on your podcast. So, yes, let's talk about the Transparency International. I will say um, many times TI for Transparency International, the Corruption Perception Index. The index measures the level of perceived corruption in 180 countries and territories on the planet. To do so, Transparency International uses and assembles 13 different uh, sources. Most of them are international organizations. All of them are highly reliable and solid organization. Each one of them produces a uh, data set on the perception of corruption. Transparency International uses all of them and applies to them an algorithm, a rather complex one, uh, to go to the Transparency International Index from all these different indexes and scores. Uh, Transparency International Index means two figures, the score and the rank. The score ranges from 0 to 100, with uh, countries scoring 0 or close to 0, that are countries perceived as highly uh, corrupt, and on the opposite, countries scoring 100 or close to 100 are uh, the countries uh, that are considered as extremely clean. It is exactly like in school, Low score means low grade, not a good student. High score means high grade, or high grade means high score, uh, meaning a good uh, student. And this is the score, 0 to 100, 100 top student. And then you have the second figure of the Transparency International Index, and we are talking about the rank. And the rank helps you understand how one country compares to the other. 
exactly like in school, number one is the top student, the cleanest country, or the country that is perceived as being the cleanest country. And then you have 180, that is the countries not doing uh, well, the country that is at the very bottom of the list of the Transparency International Corruption Perception Index. And now to pieces of information uh, to make the audience better understand what the index is. Uh, number one, uh, the index only measures the perception of uh, corruption. I think I said this before uh, on a podcast with you. Corruption is a, a hidden phenomenon. You remember that, right? Uh, we, as I always say, we do not go on TV to pay a bribe. So it is extremely difficult to um, give accurate figures on the magnitude of corruption. In particular, the Transparency International Index measures the perception of corruption, how, um, how people think the level of corruption is in one country. And the second element of this index is that it only uh, covers public sector corruption, public corruption, meaning it does not include, it does not provide any information on private corruption, corruption happening between private actors. The uh, index is both applauded and criticized. It has many qualities and a few flaws. I will start with uh, uh, the uh, negative aspects of it. Number one, the TI um, index is considered as being the expression of Western elites since it comes from international organizations. Then, as I said before, it only refers to public corruption and also it is uh, uh, only quantitative. It is, it is not qualitative. It gives us two figures, as I said before, the score and the rank, whereas other organizations like the OECD uh, provide qualitative reports on uh, corruption. The um, OECD as an anti-bribery working group, and the working group monitors uh, how countries that are parties to the OECD anti-bribery convention, 38 OECD countries and six non-OECD countries, it monitors how these countries implement the uh, OECD anti-bribery convention. The monitoring structure into four phases, and at the end of each one, the OECD publishes a report which analyzes, describes, assesses, and provides recommendations on the anti-corruption system that exists in each one of these countries. So it is absolutely qualitative, extremely long, but very detailed if you want to understand exactly how the anti-corruption legal framework works in a given uh, country. When I was going through the, the report, I found it interesting for many factors. One of them that you have described is extremely qualitative, but then it's a bit vague to understand the relations between the Western and Sub-Saharan, Asian, and all the countries in the world because of the specificities of each country. And I was struck to learn that a few countries I was expecting to be in a higher ranking are not there. The US is one of them. Well, my country, Mozambique, it, it seems to be in the same uh, basket with Liberia. And it's, uh, anyway, I, that was just my shock when I was getting acquainted with the 22 uh, 
22-pages uh, report. Now, what are the main takeaways from this 2022 CPI report? Uh, let me start by saying that uh, exactly like you, I was struck by some of the information uh, which I could uh, find in, by reading the, the, um, uh, the index. Uh, overall consideration, uh, the picture uh, is not particularly positive. Uh, we can see stagnation and uh, decline. 124 countries uh, show stagnant corruption levels. The global average uh, hasn't changed um, in the last uh, 10 years. The global average is 43 out of uh, 100, the score I was referring to before. More than two-thirds of countries, 68% of countries, score below uh, 50. And since 2012, I say since 2012 because in 2012, Transparency International implemented a new methodology to, to calculate the index. So you can compare one year to the other. So in the last 10 years, since 2012, the countries that have significantly improved are 25, whereas country, the countries that have significantly declined are 34, which means that there are more countries that have declined than countries that have made significant improvements. Uh, the number of countries in decline is increasing year by year. And even the top scoring region like Western Europe and in general, the European Union, have been stable for over a decade with some countries in this region having a decline. And even countries in the region that is considered as being the cleanest region, uh, the north of Europe, countries that have always ranked at the top, even these countries have uh, declined. And uh, what, what really struck me when I first opened the um, Transparency International um, webpage to, to, to have a look at the, new, uh, at the new index for 2022, I was struck by the long list of red arrows, meaning countries that have declined. Nine countries at the very top of the list have uh, declined. And this is the top of the list, but even countries at the very bottom of the list, countries um, which have a, 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 a very important leeway, they could do anything they want, provided they do something to fight against corruption, even these countries are not able to make significant uh, progress. Well, as, we, as you are speaking, I, I went through the, the highlights here. It's it's really striking and I, I would invite the audience to take a look and in, in Americas we do have Canada going upwards with, with 74 points out of 100. Remember uh, it goes from 0 to 100 and then um, the, the regional highlights. I uh, am not very happy with the Sub-Saharan that it goes to 32. Mm -hmm in number and then Eastern Europe and Central Asia 35 there is the Middle East with 38 and then 45 the Asia Pacific but Western Europe and Americas Western Europe 66 and 43 so in overall we definitely not improving and Valentina no, when no. you were explaining I wanted to ask you why which probably will take us to the third question 
the global peace has been deteriorating yeah. for the past 15 years. Yeah. And would that be uh, a concern for me as a citizen of these countries? And especially when I look at myself, that I do not have an influential role in the decision-making arenas where most of these major encounters occur, that perhaps corruption plays a role. Well, I, I do not know, but I would like to hear from you what is going on. Global peace has been deteriorating for the past 15 years is one of the observations made by the TI. Now, back to corruption and crisis, what is the link that we can make here? Yes, Leo. And before I answer your question, I would like to say that even though you not belong to the uh, uh, elite group of world leaders, you can still uh, have an impact. And this is the uh, positive message I would like to end our uh, conversation uh, today. But uh, back to uh, corruption and conflict or corruption and crisis, let me start with a quote, and this is uh, Delia Ferreira Rubio, the chair of Transparency International. She said, corruption has made our world a more dangerous place. As governments have collectively failed to make progress against it, they fueled the current rise in violence and conflict and endanger people everywhere. The only way out is for says to do the hard work rooting out corruption at all levels to ensure governments work for all people, not just an elite few. Let me, let me tell you um, which countries are at the very bottom of the list, Transparency International Index. Somalia, Syria, South Sudan. When you hear the name of these countries, you... Uh, you remember hearing about them in the news because these countries are the countries where the level of security and the quality of peace are not desirable. There is therefore a link between security issues and, and conflict in general and corruption. Corruption is both the cause and the consequence of um, conflict. When you have a situation of corruption that opens the door to conflict and in turn, conflict creates space, creates room for uh, corruption. In corruption, the ability of governments to protect their citizens, their, their population is severely undermined. There is an erosion of um, public trust uh, conflicts, as I said before, creates opportunity for corruption with, with government being unable to really uh, stop it. And also, in countries where the level of corruption is very high, public resources are diverted away from the common good, which cause discontent, uh, unrest, conflict, all the way in some situations to uh, civil war. And we, we, live, we do live in a time of instability. We have been through three years of pandemic, uh, health crisis, which became a uh, financial crisis. We are facing the consequences of climate change. And even in countries like the one uh, where I live, in the country of France, up until 2022, climate change was, was just an 
intellectual or a theoretical matter, we would talk about climate change, we would go to conferences about climate change, we would write and read articles about climate change, but we were not really facing uh, the consequences directly. In the summer of 2022, some natural disaster um, made it clear that climate change was impacting and could impact potentially the life, the day-to-day life of every uh, French uh, citizen, of every person living in France. So climate change, pandemic, and then a conflict. It wouldn't be accurate for me to say that the uh, um, Russian-Ukrainian conflict is happening where we would least expect it. We knew there were tensions between the two countries. At the same time, deep down and, and psychologically, a conflict at the heart of Europe was just unimaginable. So we live in a time of instability, and instability creates space for uh, corruption. As I said before, a conflict opens the door to corruption and vice versa. And Transparency International studied uh, these uh, mechanisms in detail in analyzing countries like Iran, Mali, Myanmar, where you have corruption, governments are less able to protect uh, the population, and also uh, governments are less resilient to crime when the level of uh, corruption is high. And going back to our first uh, public conversation, meaning the first uh, episode of the podcast series on corruption, which we recorded uh, together. You might remember the title was uh, um, Corruption in Times of uh, Crisis. Exactly. And I explained the two mechanisms. Yes, the two mechanisms uh, that uh, perpetuate corruption in a situation of crisis. Governments have to act expeditiously uh, to find solutions to the crisis. So they They create uh, new legal frameworks in which the rules are less strict. They mobilize all the resources to fight the crisis. And so there are less controls, space for corruption. And at the same time, uh, actors like companies, when they see that their survival is at stake, they might want to indulge in behaviors which they would not uh, take in a normal situation, meaning pay bribes to obtain or to retain a business. And this is a paradox in which you need to fight the crisis, you need to take uh, expeditious uh, measures, you need to find solutions. At the same time, if you do that, you might compromise your efforts to uh, to create some level of anti-corruption, the culture of uh, compliance and ethics. So you need to define measures that are absolutely and only temporary, that are monitored, and then there are the, um, the good practices that apply in situation of crisis and in general, in every situation. Good practices, Transparency International lists them uh, very well. I will, I will go through them. Um, in every situation in which you want to uh, fight against corruption, you need, number one, to reinforce checks and balances to promote the separation of powers and to give resources and independence to bodies and agency whose mission is to um, fight corruption. The second one is transparency, sharing information, giving access to information so that citizens can seek and monitor uh, what decision-making process led to a given decision 
And also in, in parallel, if I am a decision maker and I know that my decision making process will be made public, will be known, I might want to refrain from doing anything that is less than ethical or less than uh, legal. This is called the, the newspaper test. When you have a doubt on your course of action, you ask yourself, uh, is what I am about to do ethical or not? You might want to ask yourself the question, would I be comfortable? Would I be happy if uh, my friends, my family, the, uh, U- the, the U.S. or the French population were to know what I am about to do? And if the answer is no or probably not, chances are that your decision is not ethical. Back to our list of good practices, number three is to to limit, to contain the private influence um, on um, public powers, meaning regulating lobbying. Number four is to um, focus not only on internal corruption, but also on transnational forms of corruption, what we call the um, corruption of a foreign public agent. And then I would add uh, a number five, which is to to empower civil society and citizens, to encourage them, to invite them to report uh, what is illegal, to report report corruption. And when they do so, when they act as whistleblowers, as we say in the the jargon of anti-corruption, Governments have to protect uh, citizens that are uh, whistleblowers. Well, Valentina, I, um, I, I really think it is fantastic that we do have some level of protection for the whistleblowers. But my concern there is to those countries that the system itself is not as robust as uh, is as it should be to both internal and external audiences working towards some level of protection of civilian interests. I'm looking at the countries like Haiti, for instance, where a president is shot out in the open. I mean, how how safe it is for the lowest citizen. And then countries like Somalia is, is, rated, is rated Somalia, Mozambique. Uh, then the US goes somewhere in, in, in the middle but these countries are very different. The strength, the way the system is set up, there are some levels of independence to them that, well, citizens feel safe. But in sub-Saharan or in less developed countries, it becomes very hard to actually engage in anti-corruption measures because by doing so, you are endangering yourself as if, the right way to go is corruption line. If you shift, then you are in danger yourself and probably your family. I don't know. I, I, I don't know, Valentina. I'm just rising up a concern that came as you were speaking, uh, advocating for uh, a shift way into the ethics. And actually, I like it when you said, ask yourself, will I be happy if what I'm about to do leaks to the media and then everybody in the world knows? Well, the wars that are going on do not seem to echo that. I'm looking at the, the Russia conflict, the South Sudan, the Sudan, the insurgency in Mozambique, the corruption levels um, 
listed in countries like Liberia. Well, anyway, Valentina, we, we're just closing up for your last remarks, please catch it on. Uh, unfortunately, um, it's not easy to be a whistleblower in a country in which there is uh, no protection of whistleblowers. And a country in which there is no protection of whistleblowers is a country in which there is, there is, it is unlikely that there is any kind of strong legal framework to, uh, um, to uh, fight against corruption. Uh, so it is a mix between the actions of leaders and the mix um, of, of the action of civil society, of citizens. And let me finish with a, um, a quote. Since we spoke so much about Transparency International today, uh, this is the CEO of Transparency International who said, leaders can fight corruption and promote peace all at once. Governments must open up space to include the public in decision-making from activists and business owners to marginalized communities and young people. In democratic societies, the people can raise their voices to help root out corruption and demand a safer world for all of us. In France, in our uh, anti-corruption um, legal framework, the first pillar is called the engagement de l'instance dirigeante. In, in English, I would say, the commitment of the top uh, leadership. Um, in English, we say also tone at the top. Uh, good solutions to uh, anti-corruption and effective solution to fight against corruption are really a mix between uh, the action and the decisions of leaders and the action and the decisions of every single citizen. Even if we are not at the top, we can all tone from where we are. Each one of us can set the example, inspire ethical behavior, and help build a culture of anti-corruption, a culture of compliance, and ultimately a culture of ethics. There we go. Uh, global peace is deteriorating, a relationship between crisis and corruption. Valentina Lana, a lecturer at Science Po Law School in Paris, helped us to discuss and understand the global index, the corruption global index perception published in 2023, but focusing on the year 2022. Valentina is also a German Marshall Fund's 2023 Marshall Memorial Fellow. And I thank you for your time in, and definitely let's get together to understand the details of the report and anti-corruption actions. A pleasure to be with you. Bye-bye, Leo. Talk to you soon. <laughs>